Well, happy Father's Day. I'll tell you what, 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 that was a great Father's Day present, wasn't it? Hearing those children sing. Outnumber the sand, every sand of every beach. God thinks about us more than that. Man, what a blessing. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, 7, and 8 in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Have you ever scheduled an appointment that you wish you could cancel? Amen to that. I, I had one last Friday. Tanya and I loaded in the car and drove to Winston-Salem, North Carolina for her annual cancer scan, an annual appointment that I wish we could permanently cancel. <laughs> you, we all have those kind of appointments. They, uh, Wake Forest texted me last week and said, hey, reply if you want to keep Tanya's appointment, reply yes, and if you want to cancel the appointment, reply no. I said, don't tempt me to text no. I'll do it in a minute. So we went and Tanya scanned. The doctor came in and he said, her scan is pristine, clean and clear. So praise the Lord. He said, hey, you don't have to come back for 18 months. 18 months, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Went from three months to 12 months to 18 months. We're going in the right direction. I like that. We all have appointments. They may be annual. Some may be more frequent than annual, more regular. For example, I know during COVID-19, I know some of you have canceled your normal appointment to bathe once a day. Maybe you're bathing once every other day or maybe a couple times a week, maybe once a week. If you're brave enough and you're worshiping with us online, either Facebook Live or live stream, go ahead and, if you're brave enough, go ahead and let us know the most number of days you've gone during COVID-19 without bathing. If you're brave enough to do that. Other appointments that we have may be quarterly. Tanya and the girls have an appointment. They go to the recycle center. They take all our glass jars and glass bottles. Well, I drink IBC root beer. Anybody like IBC root beer? Am I the only one? Okay. There's a few. that You know, that come in glass bottles. look like a beer bottle, right? But it's a root beer bottle. So our girls are carrying all these root beer bottles that look like beer bottles from the car to the recycle center. They want that appointment to be canceled permanently, I'm sure. I was reading the other day about a lady who wanted to go see a dentist in town, not a new dentist, but new for her, and so she went, scheduled an appointment, and when she saw his name, she thought, wow, I think I went to high school with him, and so she got there and looked at him, and she saw his gray hair, all his wrinkles, and she said, no way, he's way too old to be in my class. So she asked him anyway, hey, did you happen to go to Morgan Park High School? He said, yeah, I did. So, well, when did you graduate? 1959. He said, why do you ask? She said, well, you were in my class. He said, really? And he looked at her closely and he said, what class did you teach? <laughs> yeah, that's certainly an appointment that she probably wished she had canceled on the front end, right? We all have appointments. We either want to keep, want to cancel, can't cancel. There's one appointment, however, in 2 Timothy 4, 6, 7, and 8. It's an appointment that we can't cancel. One appointment that none of us can cancel. And I want to show you how Paul lays it out for Timothy. By the way, Paul being the spiritual father of this pastor named Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, if you're there, follow along as I read. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, 
There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Gracious Father, I pray today we will lift our eyes up and I pray today as we see the Lord Jesus, as we see the one who is lifted up, the one at whom we look and all men are drawn to him. God, I pray that as we look up to this one named Jesus, as we consider his appearing, that all our struggles and all our sufferings will disappear in light of the glory of your appearance. God, would you encourage us today? It's a, it's a topic that we don't like to talk about. We don't really like to talk about death so much. And God, here's Paul talking about his death in a way that makes us scratch our head almost. These triumphant words, let them bring peace and comfort to our hearts today. Let us consider our own death. Let us be ready. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Get ready for your already set date with death. You say, well, pastor, that's not very encouraging, right? We just saw some brand new births up here, some brand new precious babies, and now we're going to talk about getting ready for our already set date with death. Again, if we view it through Paul's words, it's very encouraging not discouraging. So what I want to do is ask four questions as we get ready for our already set date with death. Question number one, what kind of death will you die? Now I know that we don't know the details of our death, we just don't know that, but what I'm talking about is the demeanor surrounding our death. What kind of death? What type of death? The Bible speaks of two deaths, the first death and the second death. One of them we can escape. If we trust Christ, if we give our lives to him, we can escape one of those. So what kind of death are you going to die? Here's, here's how Paul is talking about his own imminent death. He says, for I am already being poured out. He, interesting that Paul now addresses explicitly the elephant that's been in this letter the whole time. Paul's death. It's coming. He can't stop it. He can't cancel it. In fact, he talks as if it's already happening, as if the process has begun. In Philippians chapter 2, he said it this way, about five years earlier, he wrote the book of Philippians, and he said it like this, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. Now, five years, years later, this dark, cold Roman prison, Paul says, it's not if I'm going to be poured out, it's I'm already being poured out. Like Paul says, yeah, I know the only way I'm getting out of this Roman prison is by way of death. I know that COVID-19 has certainly raised an awareness for many people that, hey, I'm not going to live forever, right? I mean, before COVID, a person died every 1.8 seconds, like somebody just died. Somebody just died. Somebody just died. That was before covid so certainly COVID-19, if it's done anything, it's raised an awareness that, hey, death is real. Like, like we're really not going to live forever on this planet. Yes. 
In fact, I was reading a report recently that said you start dying at the age of 21. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? At age 20, your, your skin and lungs and brain start to wane. <laughs> at age 30, your muscles and hair and bones begin to die. At age 40, your teeth and eyes begin to die. At age 50, your kidney, prostrate, and hearing begin disappearing. I said your hearing begins disappearing. <laughs> At age 60, your taste and smell begin to fail. I mean, our bodies begin to die like 10 years, all cells die and begin to grow again. Paul looks at this situation. He knows that death cannot be canceled. He knows that his appointment with death is coming. Paul knows that one out of one people die and a million out of a million people die. He understands that. But he looks in the face of death, in his imminent death, and he has these words that seem to shine bright in the face of the darkness. How can he say something? How can he seem to be so cheerful about his death? Well, notice how he describes it, a drink offering. Now, in the Old Testament, the law mandated that when a, when a worshiper would come to the temple to worship and the sacrificial lamb was offered on the altar, they could pour a drink offering, wine typically, over the coals around the sacrificial lamb, and it would hit the coals, evaporate, and this sweet aroma would rise to the heaven. So Paul is saying, my life is being poured out as a drink offering, not the sacrificial offering. Paul is not saying that I'm dying once, being sacrificed once for all sins. Paul is not claiming to be Savior here. Paul is saying, my life is being poured out for the one who poured out his life for me. Like, I'm going to offer my life and my death to the one who offered everything to save me, the Lord Jesus. So Paul is telling Timothy, listen, when you hear I'm dead, don't you for one minute think that anybody took my life. Don't you for one thing think that I was executed against my will, for I willingly laid down. It is an offering unto the Lord. Jesus said he's the one who had authority to lay down his life and take it up again. Jesus alone. And Paul says, I am being poured out as an offering. That Jesus died once for all sins. So you and I don't have to die twice for our sins. Paul can rejoice in that. That he knows that his life in Christ is not in vain. He knows he has the victory in Jesus. He says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? And where, O oh, death, is your sting? Praise be to God. We have the victory in Jesus, our risen Savior. Paul says, I am being poured out. Those I am words reminded me of Jesus' I am statements through the Gospel of John. John's gospel really focuses on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the deity of Christ, that He and the Father are one, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus made I am statements, like I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like He exclusively is it. And we understand that, that there's no other way to heaven but by the Lord Jesus. For There's only one way to heaven, and it's only one way to the Father, and that's through Christ the Son. And we know that. But we need to understand in the context of the gospel of John and in the, the, the people of Jesus' day, Jesus was not crucified because he said, I am the way. Jesus was crucified because he said, I am. He was claiming to be Yahweh, that he and Yahweh were one. He was claiming to be God himself. That is why the people of his day despised him. Not because he said, I am the way, but he said, I am, I am, I am. 
Paul is not saying, I am. Paul is not claiming to be God. Paul is saying, my life is being poured out for the one who is I am. That I'm following suit. That I'm going to follow Jesus. That I know my life is not in vain when I offer it to the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of death will you die? Paul talks about it like this in verse number 6. Look at it. And the time of my departure has come. I love the word departure. Right? It means that if you're departing, you're going to arrive somewhere. Right? You don't just die and just disappear, like become worm food. That's not how that works. You depart this life, you arrive somewhere else. If you're in Christ, when you depart this life, you arrive in heaven immediately. If you're not in Christ, when you die in this life, you arrive in hell immediately. The departure and arrival time are the same time. Don't you wish that how it was when you traveled? You're on an airplane, have a 15-hour flight, and you're in the middle seat between an aisle seat and a window seat, and you're scrunched up for 15 hours. Don't you wish when the plane took off, it landed? Like you just skipped the journey altogether. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, Away from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's why he's so excited. Man, I'm, I'm about to be with the Lord, which is far better, Paul says. That's why he can look at death in the face and mock death and say, where is your victory? Where is your sting? For those of us who are in Christ, we have hope that surpasses all understanding. And we give a reason for the hope that is within us. Paul says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Not worse, but better. Hey, the best is yet to come. Now, it's going to get worse here, but praise God, the best is yet to come. No wonder Paul's words sound so triumphant. In the face of death, his words, these are his last words in the last chapter of the last letter he ever wrote. And these words as he faced death are so triumphant. How is that? Because he's put his faith in Christ. He belongs to the Lord. And he knows the promise that God has given to those who love his appearing. In the year 1627, there was a Bohemian nobleman named Wenceslas. Uh, He uh, was being executed for his faith in Christ, and he stood before his executioners, these Jesuit ecclesiastics who wanted to persuade him back to a a Roman persuasion. And and as he stood there before them, uh, Wenceslas said this, he quoted 2 Timothy 4 6, and this is what or 4 7, this is what he said. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. And his executioner stopped him and said, Oh no, 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 no. Those words were for Paul only, not for you. And he stopped him and said, No, no, no. You forget what follows. It says, but not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I was reading about two other faithful followers of Christ a couple hundred years later who were being executed for their faith. And they were uh, being threatened to be put in bags and thrown in the river alive with chains on them. And this is what they looked at their executioner and said. said, look, we're headed to heaven And whether we go go by land or sea is no consequence to us. We're going to heaven. Hey, that's the hope in the face of all this suffering. That's the hope. What kind of death will you die? Revelation talks about a second death. You can escape that second death. You don't have to die that second death. Jesus said it like this. I am the resurrection and the life. 
And whoever believes in me, though he die yet, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Man, escape that second death. Put your faith in Christ today. You can do it right now. We'd love to have a conversation with you about how you can turn from your sin, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough for you, that he conquered death by his resurrection, and put your faith in the work he finished on the cross, dying in your place and instead of you. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. So whether you're in the room or not in the room, take your phone right now and 79969, text the word CONNECT to that number and it'll lead you through what your next steps are for us to have a conversation with you. Please do that now. We'd love to talk with you. Number two, second question that we see from Paul's last words here, what kind of life are you living? Paul lived a very directional life. Like he had direction. He said, I I finished the race. He had a disciplined life. He said, man, I have fought the good fight. Discipline directional, purpose, future. Paul wasn't fighting his fight. He wasn't running just his own race. He was running a race set before him by Jesus, yes. And he stayed in his lane and ran that race, yes. But he wasn't running, he wasn't having it his own way. right? He was running Yahweh's way, running the race that Yahweh had set before him. And so he's, he's disciplined in that he is fighting the good fight. And that's a spoiler alert for us. We need to know that Paul didn't have an easy life, a carefree life. He didn't live that kind of life. And for everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. We will not live a carefree, suffering-free, pain-free, easy road life for following Christ. The roughest life you can live is sold out to Jesus in a world that rejects him. Paul lived that way. But he fought the good fight. He didn't throw in the towel. He fought it. And he fought it to the end. He was disciplined. Now, he didn't get in fist fights on Facebook, all right? He didn't tackle somebody on Twitter or insult people on Instagram. He didn't snap at people on Snapchat. He didn't go tick for tack with people on TikTok. But he did fight the good fight. He did live a disciplined life. He did stand for the truth. He did love people and he did love God. He lived a disciplined life. And then his life had some direction. Right? He's finishing the race. I love how he says that. Paul doesn't say, I won the race. He said, no, I have run the race. He didn't win it. He ran it. Christ has already won it, folks. Jesus has already won. We get to run a race that's already been won. So be disciplined. Be directional. How are you living? Is you, are you aimlessly living life just... Back and forth from this fad to the next fad, from this doctrine to that doctrine, just being like the waves, double-minded, unstable. Are you living a very disciplined, directional life? You know, we can, as Americans, we can really relate to these athletic fitness terms. I was reading in the Global Wellness Institute article the other day that Americans spent $246 billion on fitness in 2018. Number one on the planet in spending money for fitness equipment, fitness clothes, fitness tech, fitness classes, fitness memberships. Number one in the world 
That's spending money on fitness. Another article, another journal I read, said that although we're number one in the world in spending money on fitness, we rank 143rd as the most fit nation in the world. Like there's 142 nations more fit than we are. America, we are fitness phonies, right? Let's not be Christ follower phonies. Let's live directional, disciplined life. Number three, what kind of legacy will you leave? Boy, that's a good question. Have you ever thought about that? Man, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? What do I want on my tombstone? What do I want people to say about me? What do I want said of me? This would be a great thing to be said, right? I fought the fight. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. That's, that's Paul leaving a legacy. He has kept the faith, right? He's not swayed from it, from the right or to the left, as Moses said. He's, he's, he's steadied the course, or he stayed the course, Steady in his race, steady in his fight, keeping the faith. In other words, he preached the truth. He didn't, he didn't preach what people wanted to hear. He didn't wander off and people were wandering off. He preached the truth, the gospel, without compromise. Not part of the gospel, the whole counsel of the Word of God he preached. Now, as a pastor, I have to tell you, I'm frustrated, uh, dumbfounded, sad, angry, all these emotions that you feel when you look around and see all the civil unrest and injustices in our world, specifically recently with race and ethnicities. And yes, we renounce racism as what it is, evil from the pit of hell. That's what it is, period. Revelation 7-9 should tell us that. And in heaven, there's going to be people from every tribe and every language and every nation and every people gathered around the throne of God, worshiping Him, one with another. So yes, that is evil from the pit of hell. But i got to be honest with you, I don't understand. I, I've never walked in the shoes of another ethnicity. I can't relate to what they're feeling and what they're going through. I, I, and that's, that's frustrating, but it's the truth. And people look to pastors I know and they want answers. And sometimes the answer I can give you is no answer at all. Just listen and, 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 and stay true to the gospel and preach the word and listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, a great sign of maturity is to know when to be quiet and to know when to speak. That's a great sign of maturity. So Paul says, listen, I've kept the faith. I haven't attacked anybody. I've kept the faith. I haven't gotten into all this irreverent babble. I've kept the faith. I haven't wandered off into myths. I've kept the faith. Listen, there's no better legacy to leave than a legacy that won't leave. And the Word of God won't leave. It never returns void. Never. If I'm going to leave a legacy, I want to leave one that's not going to leave. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. It's not going anywhere. I've got plenty of pastors in my life. Dr. House is one of them at the Point Church, and my pastor in Memphis, first, at Collierville First Baptist, they, they, for their grandchildren, they are taking the Word of God, some, some Bibles, and they're journaling through the Bible. Like they're reading every chapter of the Bible, and they're making notes for their grandkids. What a legacy. My glory, what a legacy. Are we leaving? Well, we are leaving a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? Question number four. What kind of reward will you receive? 
verse number 8. Now this, very exciting, church. I mean, you, you got to understand, this is like Paul's faith is just brightly shining in a Roman prison with no light in it whatsoever, a dark, cold prison. And here comes Paul's faith shining through. Like by faith, Paul is looking past, Paul's looking beyond his beheading to the glory of being in the presence of the Lord and receiving this reward. Like Paul is looking beyond his suffering, beyond his pain. Like Paul is literally seeing all this appear and all his suffering is disappearing. You'll see what I mean when you read verse 8. I mean, you've got to remember, you read this and you think, there's no way that the guy who wrote this at the time he wrote it is in a cold, dark Roman prison. There's no way! Listen to what he says. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You've got to understand, he's about to stand before an unrighteous judge. Paul is about to stand before an unrighteous court. He's about to stand before unrighteous men who will have him executed, persecuted and executed for his faith. But he's looking beyond that. Is anybody listening? He's looking beyond that. He's looking beyond that to the righteous judge. I know we get frustrated when we hear about this decision or that decision from our Supreme Court or this court system and we get discouraged by this injustice and that injustice and by this unrighteousness and that unrighteousness. But I tell you this, one day there's a righteous judge and one day this righteous judge is going to judge rightly. He's going to make every wrong right. And he knows every bit of suffering, every bit of persecution, every bit of pain that you've ever seen. And one day he's going to make it right. The righteous judge, the Lord himself. So think about how Paul describes this reward. First of all, it is a guaranteed reward. It's laid up for Paul. It's stored up for Paul in a place where rust does not destroy, moths do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. It is stored up and laid up in heaven, guaranteed reward. It's also a personal reward, like the Lord is going to give it to him. Not one of the Lord's servants, not an angel, not Peter or Paul or Thomas or John or Matthew, but Jesus himself is going to hand this reward to Paul. He's not getting this reward from a committee. He's not getting this reward from a court. He's not getting this reward in the mail. He's not getting this reward on Zoom. He's not getting this reward for somebody wearing a mask and gloves. He's getting this reward from the very person, Jesus Christ himself. Church, I tell you what we need to do. We need a good dose of focusing on our future and the appearing of our Lord. And I promise you, when you consider Jesus, your perspective will begin to shift and begin to change. And your suffering and pain will begin to disappear. Now, not the physical suffering and pain and the reality of it, but the harshness of it will begin to fade as you realize, man, look what's coming my heavens, look what's coming. So this is a reward that is personal. It's a reward that is future. He says it's on a day, a particular day. He calls it on that day. That's the day of the Lord. Hasn't happened yet. He calls it a shared reward. This, this, ought, to, this ought to make somebody excited. 
I mean, yeah, Paul lived a life. I mean, Paul wrote, wrote most of the New Testament was Paul. So you say, well, sure, he's going to get a reward. I could understand if Paul gets one, but I don't know if I'm going to get one. Well, you need to read. Look what it says. Not, not, not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Not all who have written three-quarters of the New Testament, or two-thirds of the New Testament, rather, but all who have loved his appearing. But for all who have loved his appearing, for all who have understood that God first loved us, and because of that, we can love him and love each other, because we put our faith in him. And it's not only us who live now, it's Christ who lives in us. That to live as Christ, to die is gain. And to be with Christ is far, far better. Man, don't you want to receive this reward? Well, you can. You can escape the second death and receive this reward. Because the bottom line is either you're going to receive your reward here, the praise of man, right? I think about the rich man and Lazarus. I, I don't know if you realize this, but our Lord Jesus was an incredible storyteller. Like he could, he could take the, the vivid imagery in a story and bring truth like a, like a surgeon's scalpel to the heart of man. And, and the details are just mind-blowing. Like, for example, the rich, I'll give you one example from the rich man and Lazarus. There's plenty, but I'll give you one. The rich man lived it up on this earth. He was rich, had everything you would ever want in this life. Lazarus was poor. He was a beggar. He laid at the rich man's gate just begging for crumbs that fell off his table. I mean, all he was begging for, just give me a crumb, right? That, that was how they lived on this earth. The rich man had everything, and the poor man just wanted a crumb. The whole scenario shifts after both men die because both men died on one day and as soon as they died they were alive I mean as soon as they died they were alive one was alive in, in hell and torment the rich man Lazarus was alive at Abraham's side in heaven and so there was a conversation between the rich man and Abraham he looked up he saw Lazarus at his side and he said oh Lord oh, oh Abraham father Abraham please send Lazarus listen to this God is so awesome. Please send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. So on the earth, what you have was Lazarus begging for a crumb. Roles are reversed in the next life. You have the rich man begging for a drop of water. And in the midst of that conversation, here's what Abraham said to the rich man. Child, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things. You received your rewards. You received the praise of man. You received the honor of man. You received good things. Lazarus received bad things. Now, roles have been switched. He is comforted and you are in anguish. So that's the question when I say, what reward will you receive? Will it be just earthly rewards? Or do you have a heavenly reward waiting on you? Well, if you're in Christ, you have a heavenly reward waiting on you. And we want to help you if you don't know the Lord personally. We want you to know this is a personal God who wants a personal relationship with you. So much so that he took your sin personally, that he took your sin on the cross and he bled and he died for you. So you wouldn't have to. He rescued you through his sacrifice on the cross. They buried him. The third day he rose from the dead, proving that he alone has authority on earth to forgive your sin and my sin. So if you will humble yourself and trust in the one who, who bore your sin in his body on the tree, that you might die to sin 
and live to righteousness. So if you'll put your faith in Him, if you'll believe in Him, which means this. Believing in Him simply means this. That you trust in the work He has done for you. You put your trust in what you believe. That's what faith is. You believe that Jesus died for you. And then you trust in that work. That you don't have to work your way to heaven. You can't even if you wanted to. But you trust in Jesus' work. So put your trust in him. Again, text CONNECT to 79969. We'd love to talk to you about that. Do that now. Take your phone and do it now. Whether you're in the room or not, text CONNECT to 79969. We've got folks ready to talk to you. If you're a believer here today, let me encourage you. Uh, to press on. You say, well, Pastor, you just understand, I've blown it. I, I'm not, I've not left a legacy. I've blown it royally. Well, listen, it's never too late to start leaving a legacy. It's never too late to start living for Jesus. It's never too late to repent and turn and start living anew today. It's never too late to start living for Jesus. So if you want to talk about that, text CONNECT to that number. We'd love to connect with you and talk with you about that. Maybe you've been thinking about baptism. We're lining baptisms up. I'm telling you, we're lining them up. So you text BAPTISM, or CONNECT rather, to 79969, and under there, there's an option to choose baptism or membership or any questions that you have. If Whatever decision you made, text CONNECT to that number, and we'd love to talk with you today. Let me challenge you, church, to get ready for your already set date with death. It's a date that's already set. Do you know when it is? No. Do I know when it is? No. But we're to get ready for it. We all have an appointment that we cannot cancel. We cannot blot it out. We cannot miss it or ignore it or elude it. We cannot stave it off or steer clear of it. We can't tamper with it or ward it off. It's a date that is set. It is appointed for us to die once and then comes judgment. So get ready for your already set date with death. See, you weren't born to die and then die again. You were born to be born again, to never die again. So get ready for your already set date with death. Don't complain about your life till you go, but proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Get ready for your already set date with death. Don't be disobedient to the point of your death, but be but trust in Jesus who was obedient to the point of death. Like get ready for your already set date with death. Be like Paul. Don't say, wow, death has more vacancy, but be able to say, where, oh death, is your victory? Man, get ready for your already set date with death. Don't fear those who can only kill the body in this life. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Get ready. For your already set date with death. Don't save the date. You can't save the date of your death. Be saved before the day of your death. Get ready for your already set date with death. Don't be unsure if either death or life can separate you from the love of God, but be sure that neither death nor life can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't wager your life on whether or not you believe if the wages of sin is death, but give your life to Jesus believing that the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, get ready for your already set date with death.